Welcome to the Honest Academics podcast. We are your hosts, Sari and Dorotje, and we have honest conversations about everything related to academia. In our very first episode, we're going to talk about the dilemma between staying or leaving academia, a topic that every PhD has or will encounter at some point in their career. But first, a little bit about who we are and why we started this podcast. I am Sari. I am currently finishing up my PhD in social psychology at Radboud University in the Netherlands. I have about six months left and I'm currently preparing myself for the next step. Do I want to stay or leave academia? I am Dorotje and I have recently finished my PhD in psychology. For the past year, I've been a postdoc in the University of Glasgow and I realized that the academic path is not for me. Right now, I am exploring my opportunities outside of academia. Dorotje and I met while we did our PhDs together at the same institute. We bonded over the ups and downs of PhD life, and we hope that our insights may help others to get through their PhDs as well. We recently discovered that there is very little information for PhD students about their career opportunities outside of academia. So for today, we want to take you on a tour along the pros and cons of working in academia. We will also share some practical advice on how to figure out whether academia is for you, and what steps you can take if you want to quit academia after your PhD. Oh, and before we start, if you're more interested in the practical advice, you can just fast forward to the second part of this episode. We'll put the exact timing of the practical part in the podcast description. So let's start on the sunny side of academia. Why does it make sense to pursue an academic career? For me, I think the one of the most important pros is that you have the freedom to choose the topics that you want to work on. Mm -hmm. So you can just choose the topics that you're interested in and come up with your own research questions. Um, and there's also a lot of freedom in terms of working hours. So, you know, you're not expected to show up at nine. You can just decide when you arrive and you can also decide if you want to spend a day working at home or something like that. So I think that's that freedom is really nice. Yeah, that's really important. I agree. Yeah. And I think also a little bit related is that the work is often, um, yeah, like societally relevant and it's mm -hmm. not for profit. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. I think especially at the beginning, when you start your PhD, you often have this feeling of like, wow, I'm going to change the world with my findings. I'm going <laughs> yeah, exactly. to discover something that no one ever did before. And so many people will benefit. <laughs> yes. And then at the end, you just became, you just become more and more realistic, I guess. Yeah. Like you become a little bit more realistic, realistic yeah. about what you can contribute to the world. Yes. So I think what makes this possible Um, is that scientific research is not commercial. Mm -hmm. So if I, uh, I briefly after my master's, I worked in a marketing agency and I saw that the work that we had to do was often determined by what a client wanted and what they could afford. And things were often really rushed. So if you compare that to scientific research, we have a lot of time to go deep Yeah. You know, go deep into a topic. And we are also independent because we're often funded by, you know, foundations or by government. So we're mm -hmm. not our work is not directly influenced by what a client really wants, you know. So I think that's a huge benefit of working in science. And it reminds me a little bit of another story. So um, I was recently uh, part of a brainstorming session in a company 
where they were trying to come up with models of human behavior. <laughs> so they were <laughs> they were trying to come up with these really simplistic models that could explain all human behavior. And I was just like saying, all of them, like everything, everything. <laughs> okay. So from, let's say, being hungry to falling in love to right. quitting your job, like literally everything. And I, I was sitting there and I was just thinking, this is, I cannot swear on the podcast, I think, but it's just bull, you know, it's, this is not science. And the issue is that often um, in industry, people tend to use scientific knowledge as a selling point for clients to be like, you know, this is like scientifically based or we base this on scientific research and blah, blah, blah. And often then when you come in as a scientist, you're expected to do the same. And actually the, the fact that you have a PhD also gives a certain, you know, sense of authority to, to the company that you're working for because it seems like you mm -hmm. know what you're doing. But at the same time, then you're selling research that maybe you, you know as a scientist is actually outdated. It's not replicated nowadays, these kind yeah. of things. But you're still expected to sell them and it's just not really authentic. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it definitely must feel like that when you are put in this situation. And maybe that's what also makes it more difficult to transfer from, from academia to industry. Because in industry, people want solutions quickly. They don't have time and energy and money to think so much about, for instance, human behavior. So yeah, that must be a huge challenge for academics. Exactly. And I think that the time and the space that you get in academia to create new knowledge and stay up to date on latest developments in science makes you a more authentic researcher. And if that is important to you, I think it's a huge pro of working in science. Um, I think the last point that I wanted to make about the pros of working in science is that for us as PhD students, we started out our career in science. Mm -hmm. And that means that we know the system, we have a network, an academic network, we know how to move forward, we know the people, And this is actually really important when establishing a career for yourself. So I think it is at least something to consider when you're thinking about, you know, maybe moving into industry. You should be aware that it's a new world for you and you don't really know the system yet. You don't really have the network. So it can be a lot more challenging to start building a career there compared to in academia. Yeah, I definitely agree with this. In academia, after the fourth or third year of your PhD, you already know how to navigate the environment. You know people, you know what kind of clues to put in your CV to convince people to hire you. It's just transferring from one thing to another. But of course, it is also true the other way around. So I think there are a lot of people who decide to do PhDs after they already worked in industry. And that must be very difficult too. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So this is not exclusive to academia. And I think also, you know, if you decide it's really not for you, then of course you can build a new network and learn to, to navigate the system in a few years time. So it's not a huge uh, issue, but I think it's just something to be aware of. I think we have discussed the bright side of working in academia. Should we turn to the more negative side of science? Yeah, let's uh, talk about why it doesn't make sense to stay in academia. So the first point I think that we discussed is basically the work never ends. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't work long hours, you might just go home and cook dinner and still think about your research. And that basically boils down to the very simple 
guilt, feeling of guilt that I think many academics can relate to. Like yes. instead of doing something useful, you just do something completely useless like cooking, which feels yeah. ridiculous, of course. But but I think many academics have that. Yeah, I think it's a little bit about the the kind of work that we do. It's just in our minds, you know, if I compare to friends who are doctors, for example, mm-hmm. they they literally cannot do their job outside of the hospital. So when they're home, they're home and they're not working. Definitely. And I think maybe this doesn't apply to us because we have done our PhDs in the, in the Netherlands and the Dutch academic system is just very different in the sense that PhDs are also employees. So yes. it's more normal to have a nine to five working day or a nine to six working day. But I know that in the UK or in the US, it's quite uh, common for people to work really long hours in PhDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even, I think, sometimes expected. Yeah, maybe that's not only academia, right? Yeah, so I think if you would work in industry, you might encounter the same issue. So I recently talked to someone who became a strategy consultant after doing a postdoc, so after being an academic. Mm -hmm. And she told me that she actually went from working approximately 30, 35 hours as a postdoc to approximately 60 as a consultant. So I think this example it just illustrates that anywhere that you want to get ahead and make a career for yourself you're gonna have to put in the hours yeah and that's not exclusive to academia i would like to sneak in a quick tip here when you work in academia it's quite hard to have boundaries as we mentioned so i think it's nice to just plan some sort of activity maybe like a sport activity afterwards after work at around maybe six and then you're just forced to leave the office and yeah it's really important to create boundaries like this. Yeah. So for example, Dory and I, we work together and then we often planned yoga class around 6 p.m. Yeah. So we had to leave the office and it functions really nicely as a sort of buffer between yeah. being at work and thinking about your project to being at home and relaxing. So yeah, that's a great sure. tip. Okay. The next big uh, con of academia is basically work-life balance. So sacrificing your private life. And here we can go from small to big. The small part is about working long hours and not being able to meet your friends or partners or family. And then the big part of this is you never know which country or city you are going to end up working. Yeah. You may have to move abroad. And for some people, this is easier because they they want to live abroad. They are motivated to try new things or they don't have an established network or family. But once you have a family and you own a house, you cannot just leave so easily. So, for instance, I got a job abroad after my PhD. So I lived in the Netherlands and then I got a job in Glasgow and my boyfriend had to move with me. Well, he didn't have to, but he decided to move with me. So I think it's very common that partners or husbands or wives just go with you where you end up working. And that's uh, not always possible. Yeah, and it can also be a really big sacrifice for the partner, right? Like they just have to quit their job or have to find a new job in another city or another country. The issue here is that these kinds of sacrifices are kind of expected in the system of academia. So people who are not really able or just not willing to uproot their entire lives for their career also worry that this will hinder them later on. So maybe in job interviews or grant applications, it doesn't look so good if you stay at one university for your entire career mm-hmm. uh, or if you never spend any time abroad in another research institution. 
that can be seen as kind of like bad or not independent enough. Um, and I think, yeah, that's just a part of the academic system. And for me, it's a big con. So in contrast, it can be a huge pro of working in industry because you can choose the location first and yes. then find a job there. It feels and, absurd, right? Yeah, I think for a lot of academics, it sounds like a crazy upside down world, but it's really normal, actually, that you say, you know, I, I want to live in that city because that's where my family lives or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then just find a job there. It's normal. <laughs> yeah, it sounds weird for us. The next biggest con is job insecurity. And that's basically something that we don't really have to detail, I think. Yeah, I think everyone knows what we mean. <laughs> yeah, it's just the, the contracts are barely permanent. Yeah, I think it's really common. So again, so we're in the Dutch, we know the Dutch system really well. And what's common here is that you get temporary contracts for two years and you can get them extended twice. But then after that, this is like a law your uh, employer so the university has to give you a permanent job but what often happens then is that they just tell you to move to another university and then come back later so you can just start this whole cycle over again yeah and wow yeah I think um, again I mentioned I was talking to someone who switched from being a postdoc to working in consulting and she also mentioned that she got a permanent contract right away and I was just shocked, you know, I, I never thought that this was possible. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all the jobs that I looked at LinkedIn, maybe like 90% were all permanent. Yeah, that's crazy, right? For us, yeah. it's like, that's like, yeah, like a wonder world where you can just get a permanent <laughs> contract. Like you don't even think about this. Yeah, it's a totally different world. Related to job insecurity, there is also uh, a relatively low salary compared to industry. I have talked to some people outside of academia who left and then they told me that they can earn up to double of what we earn. What? Yeah. Of course, that also depends on the country, you know? Yeah, but it seems really unfair. Yeah. I sometimes get frustrated with this. I have a lot of friends who are exactly the same age, but they moved on to uh, study medicine and are now training to become like surgeons and doctors and stuff. And they just earn a lot more money. So they can, right now, they already are buying big houses and like eating out every night of the week. Oh, that's the dream. Yeah. And we just cannot, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're already really lucky to do our PhD in the Netherlands where we at least earn money. But relatively, I think with our skills and knowledge, we earn quite little and we yeah. could earn a lot more if we would work in industry. Yeah, and this just doesn't become visible to you until you live in the academic bubble because you all earn the same, you're all the same. And yeah. then once you meet other people and you inform yourself, that's when you realize that, wow, it is possible to earn way <laughs> yeah. more money. Yeah, well, luckily we work so hard that we don't have time to meet other people. <laughs> yeah, true. The next one maybe is a bit more personal, but for me, it has been always really hard to work alone. I feel mm -hmm. like that the academic job is quite unsocial mm -hmm. even from an early stage because you are responsible for your own PhD project and progress versus in the industry you always work in little groups multidisciplinary groups and uh, people help each other out at least that's what I hear and that's what I read in in job descriptions mm -hmm. so yeah I think it's it can be really hard and isolating sometimes to just sit behind your computer the entire day yeah yeah I definitely agree with this point Okay, the next one is uh, about visible impacts and the low pace of work. 
A mm-hmm. publication can sometimes take up to years to finish. And there is not always a visible product at the end of the working day that, um, that you can just evaluate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think sometimes it's, it's hard to see the sense, hard to have the sense of accomplishment in academia. Yeah, I, I agree. I think as cognitive psychologists, we know that it is important for a sense of accomplishment to see, have immediate feedback on what you do. Yeah. And this is really difficult in science. So I think if you look at how academia is set up, um, success is measured in terms of publications and grants. Mm-hmm. But you have little control over these things. So you have little control over when your publication is going to be done. You might have to go through several loops of review process and it might take years, like you said. Yeah. And the same with grant applications. I just did my first one. Yay. And (laughs) (laughs) yay, yay. And all the all the seniors I talked to actually just told me, you know, just assume that it's not going to work because it's like the chances are so small. Yeah. And this is true. Like it can feel like a random lottery sometimes. And I think that's an issue if you work in academia lottery is not a good way of measuring success no no basically there's a huge imbalance between the effort you put in and the rewards you get for something exactly so i want to sneak in like my own personal coping strategy for this so um for me i decided to focus on the part of the process that i can control so i decided to focus on finishing a paper and then just submitting it Mm -hmm. And then just mentally say, okay, that's done, you know, and then I kind of treat the actual publication more like an after party rather than the main event. Yeah, that's very interesting. I totally agree. I have a related tip to this. Instead of setting outcome goals for yourself, maybe try to set process goals. So this means that instead of saying, I'm going to finish the introduction today, just set um, a process goal of I'm going to spend two hours today for writing the introduction And at the end, you're not going to evaluate what you came up with, but you're just going to evaluate the process. This is really important. Yeah. This just gives you a sense of productivity that you cannot always naturally have in academia. This is a really good tip. Um, Actually, we talked about it recently and you, you told me to do this and I've been trying it now that I'm in a stage of writing my dissertation and it's been so helpful to get me to write. So I, yeah, this is a really good tip for anyone, I think. Great. Cool. So we've done a lot of complaining. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's time to move to practical advice. Yeah, let's do that. So let's say that you have doubts uh, how to figure out whether academia is for you or not. So I have to mention that this is just our list and these are points that helped us. But of course, there are many, many other ways in which you can figure this out. I think we can start with two exercises that helped us a lot in figuring out whether academia was for us. Um, So first of all, um, you can write down a list of values that are important to you related to work. So it might be, for example, helping people or earning a lot of money or leadership or good life, work-life balance. And having a list of your core values can really help you in your way towards finding the right job. 
um, in the episode description, we will copy paste a list of values that can help you get started, sort of a list of inspirational values, I guess. I did this exercise when I was doing a career guidance course and I realized, so one of the values that really sort of intuitively spoke to me was leadership. And so I wrote it down and then the trainer asked me to elaborate a little bit on that. And I realized that in my PhD, I have no leadership. So I am in charge of my own project, but I'm not uh, leading a group of people in a certain direction research-wise, you know? I'm not mm-hmm. um, not overseeing any kind of work being done. I'm not determining large-scale strategy or anything like that. And I realized, actually, this is something that I would really enjoy in my work. It helped me to determine for the future to look for jobs that include at least a component of leadership or maybe uh, a promise of leadership later on in the career. Mm. So this was really enlightening for me. The next point is something that I learned in a career guidance course here in Glasgow. And the teacher recommended us to sit down and write down all the tasks that you have to do in academia every day and then rate the task in terms of how good you are at them and how much you enjoy them. And this was really eye-opening for me because it sounds simple, but you don't usually do this. I mean, you don't constantly Mm self-reflect. So I sat down and I started writing things and I realized that I do a lot of data analysis. I am pretty good at this. I'm okay at this, but I really don't enjoy it. So, (laughs) so in my CV, I tend to put data analysis. I guess it's really important in, in many many jobs mm-hmm. but it's not the main thing and I think this is this is eye-opening for everyone to just see that we do a lot of things which we actually don't really enjoy or we do a lot of things that we really enjoy so what gives me energy definitely it's just really important and also related to this we had so many conversations during our PhDs um, about things that we don't like I don't like this I don't like that and it's just so productive mm-hmm. to translate these negatives into positive notes what do you like what does give you energy yeah it's like in the case of data analysis you might realize you know actually this is really not for me but instead I really enjoy uh, maybe doing a literature review or I really enjoy discussing my work with colleagues presenting so there might be the 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 stuff that you don't like might also hold the key for what you would like in another job the next point is take career guidance courses So these are usually available within your own university or other universities, or you can also explore other online resources. I know two of these resources, which I'm going to link in the podcast description. And it's really important to just reach out and start educating yourself. Yeah, I think beyond um, reading about what alternative options might be out there, it's also important to just try different things. Um, at least speaking for myself, I learn better by experiencing. And of course, it's not always possible, but if you have the opportunity, you might be able to do an internship during your PhD. So for example, in the Netherlands, um, you can do a six months project during your PhD uh, at, for example, a company or another kind of organization. So for example, in the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch Scientific Association has this program where you can Um, set up a six-month internship at a company or another kind of organization and then they pay your PhD salary Um, and then when you 
after the six months, you go back to your PhD and just finish your project. Wow, I didn't know that this was possible. This is really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool way to at least get some experience other than university experience during your PhD and maybe learn a little bit more about what you like. Yeah. Um, another option, so I realize that this is not available for everyone, but you might be able to set up a freelance business. This is going to be a little bit eat, pray, love, and I apologize for that. Um, but during the second year of my PhD, I was going through a phase where I felt really demotivated. Um, then I took a holiday, so I traveled in Nicaragua for one month, and I realized what I was really missing in my work was the feeling of having a positive impact like helping people basically. And um, I realized as a psychologist, I have a lot of knowledge of human behavior and I can use this to maybe improve um, interventions like education interventions, for example, in lesser developed economies because that knowledge is typically not really available there. So when I came back from Nicaragua, I set up a foundation with, an, with some colleagues to do exactly this. So we dedicated the foundation to using psychological knowledge to improve international development. I went back to Nicaragua and actually did a project to motivate children to finish their high school. And it was really, really motivational because I realized yeah. this way I can have a positive impact. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, there's always so many pos possibilities around us, but we just when we feel like, oh no, I have to finish my PhD, we just have to, we just concentrate too much on on finishing it and do not see the opportunities. If you don't have time or the energy for such things like a freelance business, you can also try things within the university. For instance, you can get extra teaching, which might help you to figure out whether you want to continue a teaching career or not. You can engage in volunteering within the university. There are so many committees which you probably don't really know about and they all want people like you. And this is also good for you because you just see how the university organization works. Yeah, exactly. And it can help you to get some insight into management, you know, like getting into getting some management experience. Yeah, this is also good to just make your working day a little bit more various in terms of tasks. Like you don't always focus on writing your dissertation, but there are also other opportunities for you out there. Related to this, what really helped me during my postdoc is I organized an outreach event. And my postdoc was about health behavior. And we participated in the Glasgow Science Festival. And we educated people about sugar content. They could do a sugar quiz. And I think you can do this with... Uh, reaching out to a university's public engagement department and they always have some upcoming events and you can always contact them for information on how to make your research more impactful and how to give it back to the public. Another point related to this, if you, after your PhD or when you're ending your PhD, you feel like you're not really sure about staying or leaving academia and this was my situation, I applied for a postdoc that seemed quite practical in nature. So it was a collaboration with a company and it was the, the nature of the project was very practical. And I think that was a really good step for me because it helped me to see how academia is with more practical research because my PhD was on quite um, uh, basic topics. It's a really good step to just try to reach out and try to have a taste of both worlds in a postdoc so that will help you to figure out what to do next. The last step is just be honest with yourself. Is this something that you really want or is this something that it's expected from you to stay in academia? 
when you're in it, it always feels natural to just stay in academia and everyone expects it from you and there's not much information out there about what else to do. I know many PhD students who mentioned that maybe their parents even expect them to do a PhD. Yeah. And that's just a bad reason, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging you, but you should be honest with yourself <laughs> that that's not a good reason to do a PhD. Exactly. Now let's close this episode with some practical tips. Let's say academia is not for you or you're still not sure. What are the steps that you can take? As we said, just try as many things as possible to figure it, figure out what you really like and find out what your options are. Google is a really good friend of yours. Just Google some opportunities, non-academic careers for psychology PhDs or just simply PhDs. What to do after my PhD? This is really helpful, especially that in the university and from your supervisor, there's not much information available about what to do after academia. So when you just start to look elsewhere, you suddenly realize that, wow, there are so many other people thought of this. I will link many of these articles uh, in the podcast description. Apart from Google, LinkedIn is also a really good option. So how could LinkedIn help? Uh, LinkedIn is really helpful with exploring what types of jobs are out there. For instance, if you just type in uh, psychology jobs or, or researcher or market researcher, just, just try in a lot of keywords and read the description of these jobs. And that will already give you a good sense of whether this is something that you would really like to do or not. That's a really good idea. I'm going to take a look as well. I'm really curious. Um, I think another um, resource might be um, to try and find some non-academic uh, professional networks related to your field. So for example, um, we are in psychology and I know in uh, the Netherlands and in the UK, there is um, something called the Behavioral Economics Network. So this is a network of people who work in psychology or behavioral economics and they host regular like monthly events that you can just join for free. And it, they're often attended by a mix of academics and people who work in companies, in industry. And this is a really great, really low-key way of just meeting some new people um, mm-hmm. who work outside academia. And that might be able to, you know, help you prepare for an interview or maybe direct you to job opportunities. So this could be a really useful strategy to, you know, meet some people and start building your non-academic network. Yeah, Um, Relatedly, I know that some countries have uh, job posting websites for jobs at an academic level, but not in academia. So in the Netherlands, this website is, for example, Academic Transfer, and in the UK, it is jobs.ac.uk. There's also something called charityjobs.co.uk, where they offer nonprofit jobs um, that do require an academic education. So these can all be resources to get you started finding a job outside academia. Yeah. A related tip is just to talk to people who left academia. You can learn about their experiences. And they did exactly the same thing as you before. So you might start from the same ground. Yeah. And I think um, what was really helpful for me was also to go to PhD hiring events. Um, I know that big consultancy firms have these like McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, Bain, Uh, but maybe other types of companies have them as well. And at these events, uh, companies set up uh, m- yeah, meetings between, you know, someone like you who is thinking about leaving industry 
and then someone who's working at their company who also did a PhD, for example. So you can just talk to them and ask them about their experience. So this can be a really great way to meet new people who also left academia, learn about their experience, and often there's like a free dinner included. So that's great. Oh, that's great, especially yeah. the free dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, related to this, organize informational interviews. This is a concept that was totally unfamiliar to me. But apparently what you can do is if you see a company or a job that you really like, you can go to their LinkedIn page and see all, see all of their employees who work there. And you can reach out directly to the job poster or someone who, who works there and has a very similar background to yours. And you can just contact them, reach out, and maybe just organize a casual conversation. And they often say that this is just a great way of, first of all, networking. And second, this might also lead you landing a job. Oh, that's really awesome. And I like how informal it can be. Yeah. Nice. I uh, think we're about ready to wrap up. Yeah. We find it really important to add that... Just don't forget, non-academic jobs are not backup option. There is no failure in any of these. Working in academia is really cool, and working outside of academia is also really cool. It's just about finding out what works better for you. Thank you very much for listening to the very first episode of the Honest Academics podcast. We hope you found it useful, and it pointed you in new directions. If you liked the episode, don't forget to subscribe, and please share it with your fellow academics and friends. We will be back soon with more episodes. See you next time. See you. Our jingle is celebration by Kevin McLeod. The link and license can be found in the podcast description.